welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we tell stories and analyze the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries for our and hopefully your amusement. I am your host, Gary, giving away free hugs with my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hi, Gary. Why free hugs? Uh, well, it'll tie into the today's episode. Okay. In fact, I have a joke for you. Oh, not another one. Yes. Goldie Ann. Yes. How do Harley Davidson motorcycle owners greet their parents? What the heck? I don't I don't know. With hogs and kisses. Oh my god. That one was actually kinda good. I kinda oh. like that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, first off we're gonna start with some housekeeping notes because I need to apologize for a mistake I made on the last podcast, which was the lizard man of scape or swamp. As I was listening back through it, I noticed that I accidentally referred to Brownstown being in North Carolina rather than South Carolina. And as far as I'm aware, the Lizard Man has been only isolated to South Carolina. But sometimes my mouth runs faster than my brain, so I did want to make everyone aware of that mistake. The Lizard Man of Skateboard Swamp is strictly South Carolina. So, Goldie Ann, uh, with this being October, we've been pretty busy. Uh, we've done the Haunted Houses of Universal Studios, Halloween Horror Nights. We've done Tampa Bay's Busch Gardens Hollow Screen. We even did the inaugural Orlando SeaWorld's Hollow Scream. So, I counted. We've done a total of 16 haunted attractions already this month with more planned before Halloween. Oh, so Are that you- means I've done about 25, 28, no. 2022. Oh, yeah, because you <laughs> traveled up to Virginia to visit our grandchildren and got to do Virginia's yes. uh, Bush Gardens Hollow Scream. So you're a, little, done, you're a little ahead of me. Um, I have done houses. every Hollow Scream there is. Unless there's one near California, but I don't think there is. Well, you can basically tell Halloween is our season. Yes, my season. Well, in fact, uh, <laughs> before the month ends, we still have Petrified Forest Haunted Trails, Screamageddon, the Gatorland Ghosts and Goblins and Gators, and then a Phantasmagoria storytelling uh, show. And then, to top all of this off, to cap off our Halloween, we have our anniversary, which was actually on the 31st of October. Yes. We're basically Halloween bride and groom. Yes. I told him if he wanted to marry me, he had to marry me on Halloween. Definitely, uh, Halloween is our time of the year, and so I think that's what makes our, our podcast so exciting to do, is that I'm definitely in the spirit of monsters and ghosts. And I heard a rumor, I'd say maybe instead of a little birdie told me, I think a little puppy told me, that I might really enjoy this episode a lot. You might, um, but I do want to give a disclaimer before we start, because today's episode contains a ghost that chases after children, some members of the audience might find the stories a bit unsettling, so be forewarned about the tales of a ghost chasing children. I mean, we are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you, and we don't initially intend to scare our listeners. Well, maybe a little. This one does have a listener discretion as always advised. Now, let's take a walk within the mist. We have all had that prickling sensation at the back of our neck, that telltale sign that someone is watching us from the shadows. We have all walked along a darkened street on our way home only to feel as if someone 
or something is following us. For a small town in Alabama, that feeling is real. The legend of Hugging Molly is one of the best-known ghost stories in the America South. It is centered around a charming city called Abbeville, Alabama, which claims to be the home to a phantom or witch-like woman who would appear to the children who weren't home by dark. So first, let me give us a little bit of background information. Abbeville is a city in Henry County, Alabama, and it has a population of only about 26 to 2,700 people. Wow, sounds like where I grew up. It is a very much a small town, and it is actually the oldest remaining colonial settlement in East Alabama. It is actually older than both the county of Henry that it's in, or the state of Alabama itself. Wow. European Americans had set up this as a trading post in the Alabama Territory as early as 1819. And locals say that the name Abbeville derives from the Muskegee Indians name for Abbey Creek Yada Aba, meaning Dogwood Tree Grove. So basically, if you're imagining the town of Abbeville, you're imagining a all-in-all -all, a quiet and peaceful small town. The Irish were the primary traders to the Indian people of Alabama beginning in the late 1600s and continuing until the Turkey Town Treaty of 1816. Now these Celtic traders utilized a system of Indian roads, trails, and paths that led from village to village and actually married into the tribe. So you had a combination of Irish traders and Indian natives that basically created the population of this area of Abbeville, Alabama. Now that we understand the background of what we're going to be talking about, let's go into the actual legend. The citizens of Abbeville have been telling the story of the ghost for over a century. However, the origins of the person who was to become Hug and Molly are unclear. In fact, there are two traditional versions. The first tells of a woman of early settlers to the area. Life was difficult in those days. Yet she strived and worked tirelessly to raise a family. To have children of her own was her only true desire. So she was overcome with joy on that day when she had her first child. She was always seen around the settlement holding that child in her arms, and she would embrace it with her love both day and night. Unfortunately, in those early frontier days, the child mortality rate was very high. It was never known the cause, but there were so many possibilities you could have chosen from. Disease, lack of nutrition, or even accidents in the home. What is certain is that the child died while still quite young. The woman was devastated. And to add even more to her misery, she was unable to bear any further children. And so she had lost her life's dream and descended into despair. She would travel the streets of the town and hug the children as they played along up and down the streets. Many of the children were frightened by her unwanted attention and they would run off from her. However, she would follow them and if she was able to, she would swoop up the small children into her arms and give them a hug. It was the only thing that would bring her any joy, an attempt to deal with the pain. It was not the same as holding her own child, however, and she slowly died from a broken heart. That's kind of creepy. Chapter 2 The Murdered Mother 
Shortly before the turn of the century of 1900s, a young woman of Abbeville became pregnant out of wedlock. In those times, this was a circumstance forgivable only by God and not by the townspeople, and slowly, if ever, was forgotten. The mother gave birth to a baby boy but never married the father, a young Abbeville man from a prominent family. In fact, he tried to disclaim that he ever had any relationships with this Molly. She soon died after the baby's birth, and according to the Dr. Blackridge who attended her at birth and shortly afterwards at her death, he declared that the young mother died from poisoning. The presumed father of the baby was soon arrested and convicted of the murder. Rumors around Abbeville at that time suggested that he tried to get the mother to nurse the baby, but she refused, realizing that she had consumed the poison. The young man, who had been convicted of the crime and was sentenced to hang, escaped and fled Abbeville to Texas, which was a place at that time where a person could simply disappear. Being a man in a wealthy family, this was easy for him to do leaving the woman dead and the child growing up and according to many accounts was often seen lying across her mother's grave crying for her. The town's old timers say that the child lived a sad short life before he too passed away. Yeah. You have two you have two versions, one like in the which one. the one in the first one in which she lost a child and then she died of a broken heart and then you have the second one in which she had got pregnant by someone out of wedlock and then had a baby and was poisoned by the father and died you know before she could actually hold her own child That's weird. chapter three the phantom of phoenix city now regardless of the origins of the woman who would become hug and molly the earliest appearance of any ghost described as being the Hug and Molly variety in the South was in nearby Phoenix City. Tales of a phantom woman dressed in a long shroud or long gown of some type appeared at night started to spread in this location. The story that was told appeared in the Columbus newspapers in the late 1800s. And over a period of several weeks, the newspaper described encounters with this ghost in Phoenix City. The stories always were the same in which she would appear in the darkened streets, uh, she would be dressed all in black, and, but this version was not interested in swooping up children. Eventually the stories stopped and the ghost found a permanent home in Abbeville during the first years of the 20th century. And she remains in Abbeville to this day. Her story has developed over time, or perhaps we should say stories, as there seems to be two very different versions of ghosts walking the streets of this small town. Chapter 4 The Lady in Black So what is the actual legend of Hug and Molly? Much like her origin, there are two different versions to the actual legend as well. The first, an older version, is also much darker. Oh, I like that. Well, the first account of the legend involves a black hooded woman and began hundreds of years ago. This apparition of a woman would stalk the city streets only on nights that were cold and dark and so damp that the flames in the street lamps wouldn't stay lit. Dressed in a large flowing black cloak 
It was as though she was a shadow within a shadow of the night. She would wear a hood to hide her identity. However, those that were able to see her described her as a giant of a woman. This nightmare lady in black was said to be as tall as seven feet, dressed all in black clothing, and she was large around as a bale of cotton, which is about two feet across. Her black skirt sweeped along the wet roads as she made her way. She would roam the town streets during the late hour, reportedly for the purpose of catching unsuspecting citizens and embracing them in her long, powerful arms. She would slowly crush them, literally hugging them to death. Then she would release her victims and make her away in search of her next victim. That was kind of creepy. Very much a scarier version to the story. Yeah. Unlike the current version that's usually told during, throughout the city. Yeah. Chapter five. Watered down version. Well, it's a it's a lot different. Okay. Chapter five, hugging Molly. Decades later, a different legend appeared in the stories passed on amongst the citizens of Abbeville. We got the legend and the actual name, Huggin' Molly. There are enough differences that this feels almost like a separate spirit. In this version of the legend, the new arrival of a specter was said to also travel the darkened streets of the town, but she was in search of mischief makers. Those kids and children who are out wandering the streets at night instead of being safe at home where they should be. She would follow these bold youths, dragging along her black dress and hiding her pale face behind a black, wide-brimmed hat. She could move at an impossibly quick pace, much faster than should have been possible for someone in a dress like she was. Yet she could quickly catch up with the fastest of youngsters. If she caught the child, she would hug them tightly against her and scream into their ear. She was never known to harm the children, other than perhaps causing some ringing in their ears. It was the fear that she could instill in the foolish youngsters that would cause them to run home and never be out late again. So in this version, we have a ghost who actually chases after children who are out after dark when they shouldn't be, and grabs them, hugs them, and screams in their ear. Right. Um, yeah, that is kind of a... I don't know. It's a watered-down version, but it's a different version. I'm sure it would scare a kid. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and it did scare a lot of children. In fact, I have a couple of different actual accounts that are told by the citizens from Abbeville. Chapter 6, The Grocer and the Ghost. There have been some documented encounters between the people of Abbeville and Hug and Molly. One account was given by Mac Gregory, who was born in 1901 and owned Abbeville Lawson's Gregory Grocery Store for over 60 years. Now, as a teenager, he used to work the family store making deliveries to the homes of the townspeople. This was a great job for a boy because he enjoyed the chance to be out of the store and it gave him plenty of opportunity to work more at his own pace without the direct supervision of someone peering over his shoulder all the time. However, the negative side of this was that he was not always the fastest pace to make his deliveries, and sometimes he found himself out after the sun had set. 
<laughs> One Saturday, he had made grocery deliveries that caused him to complete everything well after the setting sun. He trudged toward his home on East Washington Street, and darkness had descended upon the town. In those days, there were no lights on the side streets, and so he soon found that he could barely see the path ahead of him. The boy was not concerned as he knew every street and every home by heart due to his work making deliveries to a great many of them. However, his blood ran cold when he heard footsteps and realized that someone was following him. He could just barely discern a large black robed shape about 10 yards behind him when he turned around. It was making its way directly along the same path as the young Mac as though it meant to catch up with the boy. The form appeared to be keeping pace with his steps, so he immediately began walking faster and faster. The figure in black also walked faster as well. In fact, it was moving at such a brisk pace that it was closing the gap between the two of them. Gregory, afraid and anxious to be rid of this creature, slowed his steps to see what his tormentor would do. His heartbeat and breathing were the only sounds in the otherwise silent street. The man, or woman, who he now believed to be hugging Molly adjusted its walking gait to that of Gregory's slower one. The frightened teenager was afraid to run, for fear that the large hooded figure could easily outdistance him, and kept walking towards his own home. It was only a short distance away. It was lighted and now less than a city block away. He could almost feel the dark specter reaching out with one of its long arms to snatch him. And when Mac drew close enough to see the steps of his home, he broke into a run and jumped onto the front porch. The unlocked door opened easily in his hands. People rarely locked their doors in those days, and he escaped into the safety and security of his home. He managed, however, to complete all future grocery deliveries in Abbeville well before dark. <laughs> that would be kind of creepy. I'm sure. I'm sure it. Uh, you know, Gregory had lots of thoughts go as well as to what it was. <laughs> but his story isn't the only one. We also have Chapter Seven: The Doctor's Late Night Encounter. Okay, that doesn't sound like the start of a scary story. <laughs> children only. Children, no children. Well, let me tell you this. <laughs> there is a similar story that was told by Marion Glover Leonard, an Abbeville native, and she suggested that Hug and Molly also struck fear into the hearts of the town's adults. As she told the story, it involved her neighbor, James Robert Shell, who would later grow up to be the practice medicine at the Shell Clinic in Abbeville. As a much younger man, though, he always made his way home on the corner of Elm and Clendenin streets by walking just as the sun was setting. And on this one fateful occasion, however, the streets were darker than normal. With that same sense that he was being followed, he turned and discovered a large black-robed hooded person was indeed making its way towards him out of the shadows. The young man was terrified and quickened his way towards his home. The darkened figure, however, was also traveling faster and was beginning to close the distance between the two of them on the street. 
He began running when he could see his home about a hundred yards away. For some reason, his mother, Mrs. Shell, perhaps with a mother's intuition that her son was in danger, was standing at her open door, just as James rounded the corner near the cemetery on Elm Street. She stood guard while he ran the remaining distance home. The race between her child and the dark entity that threatened to catch hold of him was in her full view. Oh, wow. So she saw it, too? She saw it as well. And she was convinced that he would not be alive to tell his story without her help. So she screamed from the door and screamed encouragement to the frightened teenager. Run, Robert, run, she yelled again and again. She held the door open for him, praying for him not to stop until he made his way beyond the perimeter of their home. Once across, the phantom vanished into the darkness. Neither of them could tell where it had gone. Dr. Shell lived on to tell the story to any willing listener. Ah, eh, that one's kind of cool. That the mother saw too. And she actually believed that if she hadn't said something, right, it would have caught her. Now, these are two of the most well-known stories of encounters with Hugging Molly, but there are hundreds of locals with their own stories. It seems that, like, every child had heard the story from their grandfather back when their day of how being caught out after dark meant that they might have an encounter with Hugging Molly. Now, due to the nature of oral storytelling, it is likely that the present-day stories of Abbeville's Hugging Molly are partly fact and partly imaginative storytelling, you know, kind of tweaking the stories to make them scarier than they really were. And this was usually done to frighten their listeners. So it's kind of hard to tell how much was real fact and how much might have been, you know, just storytellers making their stories a little bit more imaginative. Right. However, no one seems to have clear answers as to who was the actual individual. And even less information exists as to why he or she chose to don a hooded black robe and frighten the townspeople, often children and teenagers. Abbeville natives have always assumed that Hugging Molly was one of their own, rather than an outsider. So was she the lady in black, or was she Molly who was poisoned? Or some old man, get off my lawn. I'm going to make him get off my lawn. No. Now, Huggin' Molly became very popular and actually had its own copycats. Oh. By the end of the 19th century, Huggin' Molly was creating terror not only in Alabama, but in other states as well. One citizen of Louisiana even began imitating the ghost just so he could hug pretty women. Oh, my God. In Baton Rouge, Louisiana, they had this story. It was a Huggin' Molly that would come out at night. She was dressed in long shrouds and gowns and ran up to particularly the pretty young women or the pretty girls of the town, grabbed them up in a great bear hug, and then run away. Unfortunately, or truthfully, it turned out that, yeah, this was just someone who was using the Huggin' Molly stories as an excuse to basically grab and snatch young girls and young women on the streets to give them hugs and run off. Creeper. Very much a creeper. In today's society, yeah, this would definitely get a mob after him. So now I've told you some of the origins of Hug and Molly, and I've told you 
different legends and stories about Hug and Molly encounters, mm-hmm. we can now start talking about some of the theories of what Hug and Molly was. Okay. You mentioned about the old man, and that ties in very well to the professor theory. There is a version of Abbeville's Hug and Molly story that offers some answers behind who or what Hug and Molly is. This theory revolves around the old Southeast Alabama Agriculture College, which is now Abbeville High School. But at the time, students could attend the college for free and came to live in Abbeville. The out-of-town students boarded with Abbeville families during the school term. Now, the young people, away from home for the first time, liked to roam the Abbeville streets and visit friends at night. With the addition of alcohol and the lack of supervisions, many of these students got into mischief, and some even got into trouble with the law. Suddenly, stories began to circulate from these students that they were encountering a dark figure dressed in a robe with a large, wide-brimmed hat. Learning of the legend of hugging Molly from the locals who already were convinced in the truth of it, many of these students became afraid to roam the streets at night, and much of the party-like attitude began to subside in Abbeville. (laughs) After some time, rumors circulated that an old professor, who was known to be quite tall at the the college, wanted his students to stay in at night for their safety. He had grown tired of the students' revelry within his town and believed that they should stay home during the night. To frighten them, it was rumored that he dressed in the black clothing of Hug and Molly. He roamed the shadows of the night in search of unsuspecting young students and frightened the teenagers, thus dissuading them from roaming the streets and getting into trouble. Most townspeople believed that Hug and Molly to be this seven-foot-tall man, despite the feminine Molly. So fearsome was the name in the town that children in play at the elementary school scurried for the safety of their homes upon hearing, it's time for Huggin' Molly. (laughs) Abbeville's young people at the time frequently heard this cry, and even hulking six-foot teenagers were not immune to the terror generated by this supernatural creature. That's awesome. (laughs) So Abbeville's streets at night became empty of mischief-making teens and children. Awesome. So you do have that theory that it was there was an actual person who assumed the form of Hug and Molly to get students to get off of the streets and stop causing trouble. There was a story, and then he made it real. Right. And it worked. It definitely <laughs> seems to have worked. <laughs> but that's not the only theory about Hug and Molly. Okay. The next theory... Two separate specters theory. Now, could Abbeville host two different ghostly specters for many years? The murderous woman in black and the protector Huggin' Molly. Now, the woman in black roamed the town streets for many years, reportedly for the purpose of catching unsuspecting citizens and hugging them to death. Whereas Huggin' Molly was looking only to scare children off of the streets. Both origin stories resulted in women having very tragic lives. So could these two women have actually created two different ghosts? It is possible that the despair could have carried on with them to the point where they were cursed to hunt down others in the night to crush them with their hugs. If that's possible, then perhaps the opposite is also possible. 
Perhaps Huggin' Molly is actually a protector, one of those two women who was seeking to protect the child they lost, screaming warnings to them in order to keep them safe as they wanted to do for their own child when they were alive. These two distinctly different figures existed at different periods of the town's history with similar yet very distinct differences. Are they two sides of the same coin? Hmm. So two different Hug and Mollies or two different, totally two different things? It could be two totally different ghosts. So one Hugging Molly and one... The woman in black. Slender man. Oh, the lady. Yeah. Yeah. So there is that theory that uh, Abbeville, the small town that it is, actually has two different ghosts. Yeah, that would make kind of sense with both of the origins. I kind of like that theory. The next theory I want to talk about is one that you don't hear about very often, but it does fit into what I mentioned about the starting of the settlements in the frontier days and with how Hug and Molly operates. What if Hug and Molly is a protector, but she is actually a banshee? As mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the Irish settled much of the area of Alabama and brought their culture with them. This would include the legend of the Banshee. The Banshee actually deserves its own podcast, but very briefly, a Banshee is a supernatural being, usually a fairy being in Irish and other Celtic folklore, whose mournful keening or wailing and screaming at night was believed to foretell the death of a member of the family of the person who heard the spirit. To hear their call was to hear the warning of death approaching and was generally attached to those of Irish descent. And with all the intermixing and uh, generations passed down, it's hard to tell who in Abbeville might actually have Irish blood flowing through their veins. Right. So any of these people could have banshees warning them of death approaching. The hugging Molly scream could be a banshee wail as a warning to the children about the dangers that they are in. Perhaps even from the Lady in Black, if these are two separate beings. Could Hogging Molly be warning of death when, as she roams the streets and trying to protect the children? And could she be trying to protect them from the Lady in Black? Wow, this is getting complicated. <laughs> I feel so torn. <laughs> There's so many ways to take, this, take the legend. There is probably a moral to the story of Hugging Molly. Many old ghost stories are kind of preventive in nature. They include a story or a drama mixed up with a little bit of a safety warning. In this case, it was to the young people and kids that they shouldn't be out after dark. They should be home in bed and therefore needed to be careful. The message was very straightforward. Don't go out after dark or Hug and Molly will come and grab you and scream in your ear. So a lot of what Hugging Molly's stories could be are basically cautionary tales to warn children not to be out after dark. And, as it's been proven, was very effective as a warning tale. Okay. So there is a possibility that Hugging Molly is simply just a ghost story to get kids to behave. Absolutely. Now... It could be a true ghost story. It could definitely... <laughs> I, I, it definitely could be a ghost story that is actually true. I'm always out for ghost stories. Huggy Molly actually has a very strong connection to Abbeville. They celebrate mm -hmm. Huggy Molly today in every aspect of the town, 
Even the sign as you approach Abbeville has an image of her chasing a young boy who is out later than he should have been. So as you're coming to the town where they have Welcome to Abbeville, right underneath it puts Home of Hugging Molly. And it has a little silhouette of Hugging Molly chasing a child. That's awesome. Exactly. So this town, <laughs> this town is full-blown Hugging Molly friendly. Dale Cox, a historian author, was quoted as saying, What is really interesting to me in the Abbeville case is that this story has continued for well over 100 years. People continue to tell the story. You can still encounter people who say that at one point or another in their lives, they saw Hugging Molly. Now, they're a little camera shy, but there are people around who say they have encountered this strange ghost roaming the streets. Awesome. So you never know as you're wandering and talking to people in Abbeville, they probably know someone who knows someone who knows someone who has seen the Hugging Molly ghost. Hugging Molly is so popular that there's even a restaurant named after her. Hugging Molly's Restaurant. Can we go here? This is so cool. <laughs> I definitely would like to make a trip out to there. Stories reportedly took place many years ago, but the story of Hugging Molly is not likely to be forgotten by any time soon. In fact, the town has a daily reminder of this character with the restaurant bearing the name Hugging Molly. <laughs> Hugging Molly's is a 1950s style restaurant with an authentic soda fountain, and they serve specialty sandwiches at <laughs> lunch. Awesome. The sweet treats from an authentic soda fountain and offer fine dining at dinner. The menu lists items such as Molly burgers with comeback sauce, all designed <laughs> to remind the diners that this person once frightened local citizens. This is a family restaurant serving, quote, friendly hugs and good food, too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I like that. So, Abbeville is, is now on our list. Is now on our bucket list <laughs> of places, places yes. to visit. Absolutely. So what are some of your final opinions? Um, I don't know. I just, I feel really happy about this, this, this possibility. That there I mean, is I Hugging Molly I'm, around? Yes, I, mean, I'm, I know I'm one of the weirder people in this world that like the horror and the supernatural, but this is just awesome. I, I have to go there. Well, Abbeville is very positive on their Hugging Molly attitudes as well. Ah. She is fully embraced very believed fully embraced. in <laughs> unintentional pun but the citizens really do uh, do appreciate what yeah. she is and what she has done and there is so many stories of people who have seen her and so many versions of who she is or what she is so I, I think she's going to be around for a long time to come in the small town of Abbeville yeah I like it well being sure to be home before dark tonight, I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. We would like to give special thanks to bensound.com for the introduction music. For those of you who want to learn more about Hugging Molly, be sure to check out the following. Alabama Lore, the Chocoloco Monster, Hugging Molly, the Lost Town of Cottonport, and Other Mysterious Tales by Will Elric. A great book that has many different stories of different paranormal events in Alabama. Or read Legends, Lore, and True Tales of the Chattahoochee by Michelle Smith. Um, between these two books, I had no idea how supernatural Alabama actually was. That's pretty awesome. 
We would like to ask you to please leave us a five-star review on our podcast provider you are listening to this on to help promote the show. We are also on social media and would love to hear your own ghost stories and opinions about encounters with ghosts of your own. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast. We are also on Instagram and Twitter, plus we have email at WithinTheMistPodcast at gmail.com. For any of you who would like to share your stories, we love to hear about all kinds of cryptids, ghosts, or even UFO sightings. We hope you enjoyed our stories about Hug and Molly, and we'll come again for another episode. Please spread the word to your friends who are enjoy listening to our tales about cryptids, ghosts, and other things that go bump in the night. And until then, we hope you make your way out of the mist safely, and perhaps a bit more curious. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.